from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. If you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 2 is where we're going to be in just a moment. 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 through 6. Uh, back now, I guess it's, I didn't plan a three-week interruption in the series, but we are looking at marks of a disciple, those comments that either are made by Jesus or are made by the writers of the Old Testament through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or the New Testament like John through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that says, you will be my disciple if, the world will know you are my disciple if. And we're looking at what comes after the word if, you know, those marks that distinguish us as a disciple and as a believer in Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to talk about one of everybody's favorite, obedience, right? <laughs> because we are so, so good at obedience, right? I mean, just we, we have no problem with it. And I know all of you are, well, I'll shake my head. I know that y'all, y'all are more godly than me. But man, think back over your life. And there's something about obedience that when somebody says, I want you to obey, just, just, just something that clicks in our brains, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, it's like, okay, go ahead, and, and, and they turn their back, and we just, our, our toes start getting a little bit closer to that line, right? Like, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how, how far I, I can get in, until I, I'm, I'm no longer obeying, right? We, we look for that line. Or how about this analogy? I hate when I write an analogy and then it happens to me, right? When, so when I wrote this, I, I, I wrote in my notes, I was like, or how about when you see a, a stoplight that turns yellow, Right? Which do you do? Do you go for the brake or for the gas? Right? And, and dadgummit, if God didn't put one of those in my way this morning, right up there at Aldward Station where you come over, the, come over the bridge, and if you're coming over the bridge doing the speed limit and it turns, you don't have much time. And so you're, you're, did you all ever do this, that speed up, slow down, speed up, slow down? Okay, I'm just speeding up. Yeah, that, that was what we were doing this morning, you know, <laughs> trying to just, just hoping if there's a cop at the other part of the intersection, just please let my tires be across the stop bar before it turns red, right? You know, we, we, we've all, you know, just, just that little bit of disobedience in us. Yeah, for real. I was at, the par- at a park the other day, and I was, I was, I was there, and a van pulls up, and, and, and the name on the, it was a, it was a dog training van. And it pulls up and it said, sit means sit. <laughs> and then underneath it said, sorry, we do not train husbands, wives, or kids. <laughs> Which I was offended. Why are husbands first? You know, I mean, I listen great. It's my kids that don't, don't listen. Love my kids. But anyway, right? I mean, but, but we laugh because we know how hard it is to obey. It, it's just, it's, it's hard. It's it's not, I don't know if we want to say it's not natural or if it's uh, just what it is, but we don't like to be bossed around. We don't like to be told what to do. However, as a believer, we have a, a problem is, and the problem is our attitude of a believer should be one that is marked by obedience. Should be marked by obedience to what we are called to do. And John writes this very clearly, 1 John 2, 1 through 6. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So as as we look at that paragraph this morning, we're going to focus on the last part. Do you see how John leads into it? He doesn't just start by saying, if you're a believer, you're going to keep his commandments. That you're just going to obey and do whatever Jesus tells you. He goes back and says, look, I'm writing to you because you have an advocate. You have Jesus Christ who is advocating for you, who is at the right hand of the throne of God, advocating for you. He was the one who came and died on the cross for your sins so so that you can be saved. And if we know Him because of what He has done, then we will obey Him. That's, that's the progression to get to the obedience. So as we look at this, notice three things this morning. One, obedience means we know Jesus. Obedience means we know Jesus. Now, when John uses the word know, it's, it's, it's very purposeful. John, John likes the word know. He uses it a lot. And sometimes when he uses it, it means to convey just intellectual knowledge, that you, you know something. We know that it is sunny today. Thank goodness, right? Uh, I hope it stays sunny and all my mud dries up. I'm tired of having mud for a yard. Right? We, we know. It's just, it's just an intellectual acknowledgement of, of, of what is happening. Right? But that's, that's not what John means. Right? Because if he meant we just, we just know intellectually who Jesus is, that, that could be anybody, right? Think about how many people we say that we know, right? But what it really means is we don't know them. We've just seen them on TV, right? Many of you watched the, the Duke-Carolina game last night. You can say, well, I know Coach K. Well, well do you? You only know him by, by what you have seen on TV. You only know him by watching his interviews and play. You may know some, some facts about him. You, you have intellectual knowledge of him, but you don't really know him. He doesn't know you. He's not going to pick up your phone call. Right? So John isn't just talking about an intellectual knowledge of we know Jesus. All right, We know who Jesus is, and we go down through history. Here's another great leader. Here's a great teacher, and, and we, we know who, who they are. For John, knowledge is a starting point with an ongoing effect. And the starting point, as he says, is, hey, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who died for your sins. It is a knowledge that comes and confesses Him as Lord and Savior, that He is who He says He is. And then that knowledge continues in that you continue to live your life knowing that He is your Lord and Savior. And what continues, and, and that continuation of that knowledge, is your obedience, right? A lot of times when we talk about salvation, uh, and I, I think we, and I've said this before, and I keep saying it, you know, we think about it that, that one-time moment, 
right? Where we have that moment where we confess Christ as Lord and Savior. We, we were overwhelmed by our sins and we come and say, I confess you as our Lord, as my, as my Lord and Savior. And we think of salvation in that one moment. And then we think about baptism and, and that outward demonstration of the internal desire for Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And, and we think of those moments, but we don't think about the ongoing effect of salvation, about how, yes, we know that we're secured, but we don't think about, hey, we have responsibilities after we are saved. And that's what John is pointing to. He's, he's saying, look, you, you came to recognize Him as the propitiation for your sins. Now you've got to continue to live like that. And the way you live like that is, he says in verse 3, if we keep His commandments. If we do what He has told us to do. Now, that's not a new teaching. From the very beginning, God has said, if you are my people, you will obey me. Exodus 19.5, if you obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession. There it is. Obey my voice. You look in Deuteronomy 12.8, obey all the words that I have commanded you. The prophets write and say, obey my rules, follow God, do what he has told you to do. Psalm 119 has been an extended discussion on Wednesday nights of Jesus saying, obey what I've told you to do, right? How many times have we looked in our study, love your law, I obey your law, I do your law, I walk in your law, I, I, I meditate on your law. John writes in John 14, 15, keep my commandments. From the very beginning, obedience has been linked to a mark of a disciple of God been marked as, a, uh, marked as a believer in Jesus Christ. And John makes it repeated, John makes it very clear. Look at what he says in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, talking about salvation, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So the opposite of keeping his commandments and being saved is, I don't keep his commandments and I'm not saved. Why does John make that distinction? Because there's no corroborating evidence that the person who is confessing to be a believer is a believer. Right? I mean, it's just, there, there's nothing there. When people talk about how much they love the Lord and how much you know they're going to do for the Lord and they listen to the Lord, all of us, even unbelievers have some idea of what that should look like, right? I mean, even unbelievers know that if, if a person loves the Lord, then they're not going to be lying, and they're not going to be cheating, and they're not going to be stealing, and they're not going to be rude to be around, and, and, and they're not going to be ugly, right? I was in, uh, I was in one of my Facebook chats the other day, or Facebook uh, pastor pages, and there was a chaplain for the police department who said, I don't know what had happened, but he said, Pastors, he goes, I, I just, I'm asking you, the greatest problem I have with witnessing to police officers and being there for them is you. Y'all get pulled over for something, and it goes nice until they say, Well, I got to give you a ticket, and then you start yelling. Right? The, the, the police officer knows the person that they pulled over as a pastor, and the police officer may or may not be a believer, but he expects someone who says that he's a pastor and believer in Christ not to yell at him, right? I mean, that's a reasonable assumption. 
right? None of us would believe Joe was a Carolina fan if he didn't tell us all the time and wear the shirts and, and the hats. Like, I don't think Joe's a Carolina fan. He just talks about it. All right, we, 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 it's, it's, we know this to be true. We know that our actions back up our professions in every aspect of life. All right? I could tell you this morning how good of a golfer I am. I could talk to you and tell you about what I shot and where I played and, and, and this amazing dog leg shot that I hit. And, and every time I, you, know, you come up, let's go play golf. Oh, I'm, I'm busy, you know, and I never go play. You can believe I'm that great a golfer. And then we get on the golf course and it's dispelled very quickly. All right, that's, that's what John is writing. If you say this, then you've got to back it up. And one of the best places that, that this is proven, I think, you've got to go back to Hosea. You don't need to turn there, but Hosea 4, 1 through 2, talks about this. As, as Hosea is writing, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed flows from bloodshed. Did you notice the connection that he makes there? The same thing that John just said. If you know me, you're going to obey my commands. And here God, writing through the prophet Hosea, says, i got a controversy. i got a problem with them. There's no knowledge of God in the land. And he's talking about his people. And then he goes, I know that there's no knowledge of me in, my, in the land because this is what my people are doing. Swearing, lying, murdering, stealing, committing adultery, breaking all bounds. So basically breaking every commandment that God had given them. They're 0 for 10. God says, I don't see, you're, you're not my people. You can't be my people if you are not obeying my word and what I've told you to do. But when we obey, when we do what God has called us to do, when we obey His commands, we obey His teaching, we act in the fruit of the Spirit, we display that, or display that to the world, we show that we have submitted ourselves to God's authority, to the authority of His Word, then it proves not only to us, but to the world that we know Jesus. That we indeed are saved. And so our obedience demonstrates that we know Jesus. Secondly, obedience, we are told in these verses, perfects our love for Jesus. Obedience perfects our love for Jesus. Verse 5, he says, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. That, that's, a, that's a huge declaration that our love is perfected. But John is building off the argument that he just made because whoever keeps his word, and the word keep there is important, whoever keeps, whoever abides by it, means that their love is being perfected. Now this isn't a keep like I, I hand you my keys and say, hey, uh, keep up with my keys for me. Right? That, that's just, you know, you don't, you don't want to lose something. Right? You ever lose something? I put up my clergy badges before COVID when you couldn't get into the hospitals, and two years on, I'm still trying to find them. 
I put them up where they would be kept nice and safe, and I don't know where that nice and safe place is. Right? That's, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. What John is talking about is guarding. All right? this, this is a keep where you guard and you protect. Right? So it's, it, it's very different than, hey, just keep an eye out for my, my keys, watch my keys, and hey, uh, w- will you keep my dog for me for a week while I go away? Right? Somebody asked you that. The implication in keep my dog is, uh, I don't want you to lose my dog. I want you to protect my dog. I want you to feed my dog. I want you to walk my dog. I want you to take care of, guard, and protect my dog. Do you, do you see the difference? And that's what John means. He says that if we love him, we're going to keep, we're going to guard his commandments. We're going to place them in our heart. We're going to obey them, and then we're going to guard them, like set up a fence around them so that the world can't penetrate through that fence into our heart and cause us to stop obeying what God has called us to do. And he says, as you do that, as you keep the commandments, he says, the love of God is going to be perfected. Our obedience perfects our love. Right? And when we think about that, you know, why, why do people obey? Have you, have you ever thought about the reasons that people obey? There's several, right? I mean, we obey out of fear. All right? that's, that's why when you see the stoplight turn yellow, you, you start to slow down. It's a fear, right? You, you don't want to get pulled over. You, you don't want a ticket. You don't want rising insurance costs. Right? You, you, you don't want any of that. A lot of rules and laws we keep, maybe we don't like them, but we keep them because we're afraid of the consequences that comes with breaking them. Right? I mean, we, we understand that. That's one reason to, to keep and obey a law. Another reason is because you need to. There, there becomes a need. When you go to work, there are certain requirements, certain demands on you for your job that you keep. Why? Because you want to be paid. If you don't keep those requirements, if you don't keep those rules, then you're not going to be paid. But you need to be paid because you got bills. you got a family to take care of. you got a family to protect. So, so you need to obey so that you can protect and, and take care of your family or pay your bills or whatever else the need is. Now, neither one of those is what John is talking about. Right? He's, he's talking about the third reason that we obey, and, that, and, and, and that's where it comes from a place of love. You obey out of love. Right? If Alana comes and, and asks me to do something, I obey and I do it because I love her. I, I may not particularly want to go fix the leaky faucet, but I'm going to do it because it's bothering her more than it's bothering me, and she's asked me, and because I love her, I'm going to go fix it. I'm going to grouse about how much I hate plumbing the entire time, but I'm going to go fix it because I love her and I want to please her. I ask her to do something, and she does it, and she does it for the same reason, because she loves me and wants to please me. All right, this is the type of love and obedience that John is connecting. We obey Christ because we love Him. 
We obey God's word because we love his commands. We do what we're called to do because we understand that this is a way that I demonstrate my love and fidelity to Christ. And this, this includes you know, all the laws that, that he, he's given us. God's moral laws have not changed. This includes the, you know, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't worry. Come to me boldly before my throne in prayer. This is Galatians 5, all the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. This, and we're going to see this in coming weeks, where we're, we're told to be salt and light. This is just the commands that we have been given. We do out of love for Him. At the same time, there are commands He's told us not to do, right? He's told us to abstain from sexual immorality. He said, don't be a drunkard. He says, don't, don't love wealth. Don't prefer people, one, the golden-fingered man and James over somebody else. And so we, we don't do that. And as we obey Him out of love, then what happens is our love for God moves towards maturity and perfection. And John is pointing us to that progression. We know Him. We, we, we keep growing in our knowledge of Him. and We keep His commands. And as our obedience grows, then our love in Him grows. As you get to the end of our, our love for Him, it creates a greater desire to know Him, which produces what? It puts us on one of these, these wheels. The more we obey Him and know Him, the more we love Him, the more we want to obey Him, and, know, and, and the more we love Him. And we just we get caught up on this infinite cycle of growth and love where we, we, we love Him and obey Him more and more and more and more and more as we go through our lives. Because even though our love is working to be perfected, it never will be. We don't get to a point where we love Jesus perfectly. But until we see Him face to face, our love is being perfected. It is growing closer and closer and closer to perfection. So obedience then perfects our love for Jesus. But then finally, obedience shows that we are abiding in Jesus. Obedience shows that we are abiding in Jesus. Verse, the end of verse 5 and verse 6. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. He says we are abiding in Him. What does it mean to abide in Christ, right? I mean, it kind of has a, a, a mystical, indefinable sound to it, doesn't it? It sounds like we can't really define it. What does it mean to abide in Him? Well, we are. We actually we are told, and there's some discernible characteristics that we are abiding in Christ, that we are in Him, and 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 one that we've seen right here is obedience. So how how does that really look? What are the discernible characteristics of us abiding in Christ? Well, we abide in Christ when His words fill our minds, when when it directs our thoughts. When we're confronted with a situation and we decide that we're following what God has called us to do and the commands that He has given us instead of what the world has said we should do. That's a defining characteristic. It informs our decisions. It transforms your actions. You don't yell at the police officer who pulls you over for breaking the law, breaking the speed limit. It impacts our desires. 
right? You know, things that you may have wanted very much so when you were younger, just they don't hold that sway to you anymore as much as knowing Christ and, and what He wants. It, it just it transforms you, as the Apostle Paul writes. And so simply put, if you want just a simple definition of abiding in Christ, it's yielding to Him in obedience to what He has commanded us to do. Abiding in Christ is yielding to Him in obedience to what He has commanded us to do. And as we do that and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it gives us strength and gives us wisdom, gives us the ability to do that. And so that we, we can do it. It's not mystical, otherworldly to say that we can abide in Christ. It's practical. It's easy and, and, and demonstrable. And it says that when we do this, that we are, like it says, we ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Right? Walk in the same way. Part of our salvation, again, that shows that we are abiding in Christ is that we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's, that's why we're called Christians. You know what Christian means, right? You know that Christian means little Christ. You know. that, that's what it means. We're not perfect in our obedience and in, 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 in that image, but we are walking and being conformed to His image. And while he walked on this earth, you remember what he said as he walked on this earth? He said, as I'm here on this earth, that, that I am going to do my Father's will. That I am here to do my Father's will. So how do we walk on this earth? Well, we walk in the same way. We walk doing the will of the Father. John says, uh, says this in John 17, verse 20 through 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. As Jesus is praying that, that high priestly prayer in John 17, when he talks about, I do not ask for those only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that's you. That's, that's me. He's praying for believers who are yet to come, who will hear and believe through the, the testimony of the apostles and then the, the, the believers who heard and, and lives were transformed by the apostles and then the next generation and the next generation. So here, some 2,000 years later, we hear and we believe through that, that, that legacy of faith from Christ to the apostles down through all of church history. And as Jesus is writing, or, or as Jesus is speaking right here, he makes it very clear. He says, look, I am in you, you are in me, and I pray that they may also be in us, that they may abide in us. Now the implication right there for us is this, that, that we can be in Jesus, that we can abide in Him. Just as Jesus and the Father are one, now again, that's, that's not... We're not that there is a, a Trinitarian aspect there. You know, Jesus is one part of the Trinity, God is another part, they're not the same, same substance, same God. And and so when Jesus says that, 
You remember he also said, if you have seen, the, seen me, you have seen the Father. So we understand then that there is community and there is relationship between the Trinity. And Jesus says, we, meaning you, God, and God the Father, and me, God the Son, and the believers to come, we can have that same unity and that same connection and that same communication where that they can abide in us. Now that's pretty amazing that we can abide in Christ and at the same time Christ says, I'm going to send the helper who will abide in you to lead you and guide you in all that you are supposed to do. Where it takes away this idea that it's just mystical union. And so there's a fundamental truth there. And that is we can know Christ and He can know us as we abide in Him and the Holy Spirit abides in us. And one of the ways that we do this is by the fact that we obey and do His will. It all comes back to obedience. And I want to finish this morning by going to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. In this chapter, Samuel, excuse me, not Samuel, Saul is king. And at the beginning of the chapter, Samuel comes and gives Saul some very specific advice. I mean, he gives him some instructions. They're clear. There's no ambiguity. What did God mean? God speaks to Samuel, who speaks to Saul. And basically, he tells Saul, he says, look, you're going to go into battle. And when you go into battle, thus says the Lord. So this is the Lord's instructions. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now, I know there's some questions in there that will be, will be good to answer one day. But what I want you to hear this morning is God told Saul exactly what to do. Saul goes into battle. They win. But they didn't listen. They didn't devote everything to destruction. Samuel comes into the camp. And Samuel goes, just kind of, I, I can almost picture Samuel just kind of walking into the camp and getting ready to talk to Saul and just like, what's some interesting noises going on in the background? Hey, Saul, did you do everything that God told you to do? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I, I did everything. Well, if you did everything, why am I hearing sheep and, and, and bleeding in the background? Why, why am I hearing animals in the background? There's not supposed to be any animals. Now listen to what Saul says, right? Saul says this to them, right? And so Saul tries to get away, and he says, you know, look, we brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Hey, Samuel, look, we were thinking about God. Right? We walked in and we saw the, this, 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 these sheep over here and they were perfect. And, we thought, and the first thing, the very first thing that popped into our hearts and our minds, Samuel, was this perfect sheep 
And this perfect ox perfectly fulfills the law of sacrifices that we were given. So we decided to keep them, right? Makes sense. On one level, it does make sense. God has given them instructions for sacrifice. And so Samuel says, or Saul says, I saw them and I kept them. Now, the thing is, does any of us believe it? And and the answer is, is, is no. In the heat of battle, I don't think that they were believing that. And it doesn't matter even if they thought that. That wasn't the command. That wasn't what they were told to do. And so Samuel gets mad at Saul and just says, stop. Just stop lying to me. I'm going to go talk to the Lord, and He's going to speak to me, and I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to, I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you what the Lord said to me. So Samuel comes back and just basically tells Saul, you know, you did not obey. You, you, you didn't listen. And Saul, again, he keeps trying to get out of it. He keeps trying to, just, you ever try to justify your disobedience? But, 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 but. Right? I did everything else but this one little part. Right? That's, that's, that's what Saul is doing. He says, look, I, I, I did, I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I devoted the Amalekites to destruction, but the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, the sacrifice to the Lord your God and Gilgal. Come on, come on. I did the right thing. I, I, I did the right thing. We're going to go have sacrifice to the Lord and, and worship the Lord. I did the right thing. And that's when Samuel says this, where I've been leading up to in verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, all right? Behold means pay attention to what I'm about to say. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. Samuel says to Saul, look, it's not about the fact that you were going to sacrifice. The simple, bottom line, matter of fact thing is, You didn't obey. And as even though God has commanded the sacrifices, what He told you to do in this manner right here, right now, is for you to completely and to totally obey Him, and you didn't. So your sacrifices are worth absolute squat. Because what God demanded from you, what God wanted from you, was to obey Him. His voice, and to listen to Him. When we come to 1 John 2, he says the exact same thing that Samuel wrote here, but in different language. He says, if you are abiding in Christ, if you are loving Christ, and you are claiming to be one of His people, then you are going to obey what 
he has called you to do. And that obedience comes from us submitting ourselves to the authority of God, to the authority of his word, and doing what he has revealed to us through his word. Because when we do that, that is what the Lord takes great delight in. And that is what proves that we belong to Christ. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.